You now listening to the Red Hands Podcast. Should be the only thing you listening to. Yo, you now tuned in to the podcast from Red Hands. He interviewed everybody from Buster to Mess Man, from your favorite comic to your favorite rapper. They took it right back and interviewed every one of your favorite actors. Marlon Wayne to Jake Gyllenhaal. They're in the game, been doing this for years, and he's still involved. For the culture, for the life, for the art, for the sights, for the love most of all. Finally, someone's doing it right. Red Hands over everything, R-O-E, that to every other podcast, What's up, everybody? It's Red Hands, and I'm back with another episode of the Red Hands Podcast. On this episode, we're going to find out about a new documentary about the murders of Biggie and Tupac, and it's called Murder Rap. This documentary was originally a book written by an LAPD detective named Greg Kading. Originally, it was Greg's job to prove that the LAPD had nothing to do with Biggie Smalls' murder. Once he proved this point, the LAPD shut down the case. Greg eventually turned this evidence into a book called Murder Rap. Then a few years ago, Greg linked with filmmaker Mike Dorsey, and they turned it into a documentary. This is the best Tupac and Biggie documentary because it solves the case with real evidence. In this interview with Detective Greg Kading and filmmaker Mike Dorsey, we talk about how to make a documentary, what actually goes into making a documentary, the Biggie and Pac murders, the difference between Suge and Puff Daddy, and will the case ever eventually be solved? All this and more on the Red Hands Podcast. Appreciate you guys taking out the time to do the interview. No problem. Have you, have you guys been doing a lot of press, or I guess it's not really out yet, technically? Yeah, it's not out yet, so we're just starting our, our press tour. We're actually hiring a publicist uh, this week. So we're just starting that push. We've just really just been managing our Facebook page that we launched uh, a couple months ago. How did you guys come together and make this happen? Uh, sure. Um, well, this is Mike Dorsey, the filmmaker. Uh, I was uh, uh, back in, I guess it was about three years ago, I was uh, reading, a, I was just surfing the internet, and I came across this article about Greg's book, and uh, I thought it was really fascinating. And um, I didn't, you know, uh, I didn't know a ton about um, the investigation. Like a lot of people, I didn't know really what had gone on behind the scenes with the police investigations. And all of a sudden, there was like this big revelation in this article, and I also just thought it sounded like legit. It sounded, it didn't sound like, you know, crazy conspiracy stuff and a lot of speculation. It sounded like a really, like, logical, well-supported case that they had put together. So I reached out to Greg and uh, said, let's make a documentary, and he said, yeah, let's do it, and he sent me his book, and I read it, and I was even more convinced, and we made a film. So how long did it actually take to kind of put all this, the actual documentary together? It took about two and a half years to make it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's okay. You know, there, there's, it's so dense. There's so much in it. I think there's something like 40 case files that are shown. There's uh, 10 you know, uh, interviews with witnesses in there. Um, a lot of them are police interviews. And you know, each one of those interviews was hours long. You know, So it was just a ton of work to go through all of this stuff and make essentially 15 years of investigations you know, boiled down into just under two hours. So it just took a, a lot, a lot, a lot of work to, to get that boiled down into two hours and also to make it all make sense for the audience and not have them be lost. 
So one of my questions was how, I guess maybe because Greg worked the case, but how did you, you know, you have so much evidence and stuff that never really been released. How did you guys get a lot of this stuff? Like the Keefe D inter, uh, interrogations and all that. I hope I agree with that. Yeah, so what ended up happening was I became aware of the fact that they were going to shelf the investigation. The LAPD was going to disband, disband the task force and there was not going to be any more proactive investigation. And so I kind of thought ahead and figured that the, you know, that the public was never going to get to know what we discovered in the investigation. So I copied a lot of the, uh, the material from the investigation, much of it with my own work. Uh, but there were other uh, uh, files that I copied. And after I retired, I, I wrote the book based on all of the investigative files. So, uh, so Greg, what, I know the book's been out, but what has been... Um you know, like the mainstream reaction to, or the music industry in general, what was like the reaction to your book when it came out? Well, we have different reactions from different people. Uh, the people that have really been, you know, researching the cases uh, for all of those years, I think for them it was one of those, like, the light bulb came on and they said, oh, finally something makes sense. You know, finally here's a theory or a uh, explanation that we can sink our teeth into because all the stars line up with it. Um, you know, before that, they've been fed some rather impossible theories that they had to kind of accept those in, in the void of getting the truth. Um, the, the real negative backlash uh, was very limited, but that was limited to those people who were out for promoting opposing theories. They didn't like the idea that I was coming out and kind of uh, undermining uh, their, their prior work. And so that was the real uh, only negativity that I received. So, uh, Greg, you wrote the book, and then, Mike, you come on board to do the documentary. Did you guys, were you guys hesitant at all to do the documentary, or was you, were you worried about any, you know, not that anyone would harm you guys, but, you know, it is a pretty uh, controversial topic. Uh, were you guys worried at all about actually doing this documentary? I, maybe a little bit, but I, I look at it, I mean, it's been so long. I think some people don't realize it's been almost 20 years now since Tupac. Um, was murdered. We just passed the 19th anniversary of that. So, from my perspective as a filmmaker, this is almost like a historical true crime documentary. You know, this is uh, this is history now. Um, so, I, I you know a lot of the people that were involved with this are dead. Um, a lot of people um, that that are accused or, or alleged to have been conspiracy conspirators in this are dead or um, or you know are untouchable now, basically legally, because uh, you know it'd be so hard to. Um, get the witnesses together to prosecute them. So I think uh, I think most of the people involved in this are either gone or they know that nothing's going to happen to them, so who cares if the movie comes out? They're probably not going to be thrilled with it, but it's not going to, they're not going to be harmed by it, I think is probably what they realize. So I, that's how I looked at it. If we tried to make, if we tried to come up with this, you know, 15 years ago, I think that would have been a different story. So Greg, Greg, when you were initially doing the book, I know you're a police officer and everything, but were you hesitant or worried at all about doing the original book? No, I wasn't worried about any kind of like physical you know, retaliation or anything like that. I, I came from the streets of Los Angeles. I've been dealing with gang members and prison for years. So that fear didn't exist. The fear for me was, can I safely do this legally? And once I got to the, you know, the um, approval of um, very competent, competent lawyers, and they ensured me that I could, then, then, then it was good. I was I could overcome that obstacle of hesitation. And uh, we haven't received any type of legal action. Um, so, you know, it's all they did, actually. 
book came out now almost about four years ago, and um, you know, there's kind of a there's various statute limitations on these. One of the big ones is a three year statute limitations, and, and that came and went. Nobody nobody did anything. So it's kind of interesting. We had the film vetted by a big law firm in, in Los Angeles that clears um, documentary films. That's their their bread and butter, and uh, they spent months. Uh, with us going back and forth, making sure that everything in the film was okay and would um, withstand any, any potential legal challenges. That, that's interesting. I didn't really even think of that. So, what besides that was there another process that you have to go to go through before releasing a documentary? Because there's so much evidence and facts in there. I guess you really have to protect yourself, right? Yeah. The, the way it works with, with all films is when you get a, when you sign a distribution deal, they make you get what's called errors and omissions insurance. And that is insurance against any potential lawsuits against the film. And then they work hand-in-hand with whatever law firm you've hired to clear everything that's um, considered what's called fair use, which is there's a lot of stuff in documentaries that you don't pay to license, but you're allowed to use it because in documentary films, the laws are a little bit different about um, using intellectual property. So they, the, lawyers, the, 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 the law firm reviews everything. They write a letter saying, yes, everything in this film is good. That letter then also binds them to the movie, and that letter combined with your admissions insurance is your your protection. And then, of course, um, the film was made under its own uh, separate corporation, so then you have uh, protections from the LLC. So you know, we, we dotted every I and crossed every T to make sure that we were protected in case you know, somebody tried to come after us. Yeah, I mean, you said it took two years or so, so I guess you had to do a lot of due diligence and things like that. Exactly, correct, yeah. And I did on my own, you know, I did a lot of my own researching. Uh, of a lot of these facts, so you know, it's like it's almost like Greg's case has been like double double vetted now, um, at least by by an amateur like me. So, Greg, did you have to go through a similar process when you released the book? Yeah, I did. I uh, got a good entertainment attorney out of uh, Los Angeles who went through it all and assured me that uh, everything in there was safe to print, and uh, that was it. It wasn't as deep or detailed as the process Mike went through. Uh, but I did have to have it legally vetted. I didn't have to, but I, uh, that was my due diligence. So I know you came on this case after Biggie and Pac passed, but um, have, did you ever interact with any of these guys or just like death row people or Shogun in general, like just throughout your whole career? Yeah, I didn't have any personal, um, con- you know, like any kind of personal contact with Shogun I prior to being involved in the investigation or any of the Mob Pyro or any of the Southside Crips. You know, all those people were kind of oriented around Compton itself, which at the time had their own police department. So uh, I had an extensive gang background, uh, but I had never dealt with any of these individuals personally, except um, for a guy named Zip. Uh, it turns out, through, you know, through irony that I had dealt with him, and as, you, as you know from reading the book and with seeing the documentary, Zip was a key player in the murder of Tupac Shakur. And I did deal with him on kind of a random uh, vehicle subject. That's when I was working in Wilshire Division, uh, long before ever I ever got involved in the investigation itself. So, so in a perfect world, if everything went the way it would should, um, what do you think the outcome from this documentary would be? I mean, I know a lot of people passed away, but do you think they could bring charges or 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 officially solve the cases from through like a documentary like this? You know, just through the court of public opinion, you know, getting people to recognize what took place and the facts behind uh, these murders, but that's as far as it'll go. It'll never get prosecuted in a court of law. 
there's just too many mitigating circumstances, too many witnesses are dead, too many of the co-conspirators are dead, uh, the shooters themselves are dead, and those, uh, those last people standing have kind of um, are either insulated through their money or insulated through uh, a government agreement. And one of the individuals involved in the Big Smalls murder has a limited immunity because of her cooperation, and then DVD, the Southside Crips, was involved in the Tupac murder, uh, had a proper agreement, with, uh, proper agreement which protects him from his own confession uh, under certain circumstances. So it's a very complicated situation, uh, but because of that, it'll never see uh, the light of day in a courthouse. So, I mean, I read up a lot about this before, you know, I read the book and watched the movie, and, you know, I know there was always the government conspiracies where people thought the government was involved. Um, I mean, after watching this, I don't necessarily think so, but what were your thoughts on when people would say that, you know, it was the government and they got rid of Pac first and then they got rid of Biggie to kind of make it, like, you know, just, like, take away from that theory? Well, the people that are Puff Daddy kind of plays the game and he knows how to politic where Suge was just 
he wasn't interested in that, and that's maybe why they both ended up the ways they did. Yeah, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, for Puffy, very fortunate. Um, uh, you know, Eric, Puffy's had some very fortunate um, events happen in his life. You know, he's been involved in things that could have got him into a lot of trouble, but the way that they played themselves out, he just, uh, you know, he didn't uh, take the hits. And Sugar, on the other hand, is, you know, uh, you know, he's taken some hits for things that he's done. He's being held responsible right now for, uh, you know, his own behavior in Los Angeles. So, uh, you know, I think Puffy's a, a, a more savvy businessman. You know, I think Puffy sits back and thinks a little bit more and is a little bit more calculating uh, than Shug Knight, who seems to kind of wear his emotions on his sleeve. So are you guys hip-hop fans at all? I mean, were you guys fans of Tupac or Biggie? I became one by way of the investigation. I, I wasn't a hip-hop fan, and especially a rap fan, um, prior to the investigation. But as I got to know more about these individuals and their lives and starting to recognize the talent they had and the potential that they had, uh, then I became a fan. I don't necessarily listen to a lot of hip-hop, uh, but I certainly can appreciate these guys as for the artists that they are. Yeah, I didn't come from it as a, from a perspective of being like a super fan. Um, which I think helped because it kept me objective and, you know, it helped me decide what to put, you know, the big part of making a film is deciding what, what shouldn't go in it. And uh, I think it helped me kind of stay away from where I might have had more of an emotional response and wanted to maybe put more biographical details in there about Tupac and Biggie, um, whereas uh, not coming at it from the, the perspective of a super fan, I was much more focused on the case and the evidence and the investigation. Yeah, I think I, I think that's important that you guys are kind of. I mean, you don't really have anything to gain. If anything, you have a lot to lose from putting yourselves out there. So I think that's good that you guys are kind of um, not on either side, so to speak. You're kind of in the middle and just kind of laying out the facts for everyone. Correct. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean the documentary is great. I watched it twice, uh, and there's just so much evidence in there. I mean, how do you even? kind of plan this out before you do it so you make sure you cover everything and then you guys kind of covered it in a certain order I mean how did that all come about yeah it was a lot of trial and error and uh, you know the first few edits of the film I uh, showed to a lot of producer friends of mine and filmmaker friends and you know it bounced around a little bit too much in the early days and we just kept streamlining and streamlining it until we got a much more linear story so it made a lot more sense and got things kind of in their own little sections I think a lot better um, and also kind of, I, I, there's so much even more evidence that's not even in the film that's kind of just more of the same of what's already in there. And so it also came to a point of, okay, I think we've proven this point. It's time to move on to the next point, you know, but we could have done, you know, this, this film could have easily been four hours long if we wanted to really stuff everything into it. So if everything goes well, you think we might see like a director's cut one day or like an extended version? I don't think so. It was really interesting. We, uh, I went through the film because um, there's going to be a DVD release of it, and I went through the film to try and find some deleted scenes, and there was only um, really two, really, you know, their own little scenes that had been cut up from the movie. Most of the cutting that I did was just streamlining what was already in the film. So I don't, it was kind of actually hard to find stuff in there that was, um, I think, really compelling that kind of stands on its own. So I, I think this is, the, this is really the director's cut that's going out. So, um, Greg, my, my question for you, um, I'm sure you worked, with the oil, I guess I should just ask, did you work closely with either Biggie or Tupac's family over the years? I mean, have they reached out to you? Are you in contact with them or anything like that? 
Not during the investigation. During the investigation, uh, there was a little bit of a conflict of interest going on uh, during our investigation of Biggie's murder. Of course, uh, Biggie's family's estate was suing the city of Los Angeles, and so there was this kind of um, this conflict going on. And so, you know, their attorneys and their witnesses and their people uh, were not looking to want not to cooperate, but to you know. Uh, they were defending their lawsuit or, you know, pushing their lawsuit. So it wasn't until afterwards, after I'd written the book, I went out and I met with Belletta Wallace at her house. By this time, the lawsuit had been dropped after they had uh, retracted it. And I sat down with her and explained to her, you know, to her what we had discovered, how we had discovered it, why the information that she previously believed was erroneous. And we got to know each other and built a respect for one another. And I still... her case I guess she probably feels like she maybe got some closure out of the situation I mean does she like her theory change that she doesn't think the LAPD was involved about, I don't know if you know anything about the infamous last photo of Tupac when he's in the car with Suge Knight. I've seen that a million times, but I don't, I never, I really didn't think about it until I watched a documentary, like, you know, who took that picture, what's the context of it? Uh, do you know, like, the background behind that photo at all? Yeah, I, 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 I hopefully have this right. There was a photographer that was there, um, I think they were about to leave one of the um, hotels that they were at. And he just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and he snapped that photo of them. That's that's kind of all I've heard about that. Yeah, that's accurate. As a matter of fact, and the, you know, Captain Scott, of course, was the first person to capitalize on that photo. She used it for the cover of her book, and 
and uh, but that's what she will tell you too is that there was a, a photographer out there, a freelance photographer who just happened to be in the right place at the right time to snap a photo, and that photo became became famous with its last one taken of Tupac. Cause yeah, that photo is just so eerie, you know, because you can just. And I guess it happened after the fight with Orlando, right? Is that after they 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 beat him up? Yeah, yeah, because he had already changed by then. He changed into that um, basketball jersey. I think that he was wearing had that chain on. Yeah, just just such an eerie photo because I guess Pac knew, you know, what just happened that you know there could be some type of retaliation. Yeah, he he knew he was at risk, and according to um, Kadada. Kadada's uh, biography. I think we originally thought that she got had a bad vibe and she made the decision not to go out with him that night. But according to her book, he told her not to go out because of what had happened. And so he, he definitely knew that you know, the heat was on uh, out on the street after that fight, and he had to be careful. So, would you attribute the death of Biggie to just coming down to money? I mean, do you really think that's why it happened? No, Biggie's death was a result of a series of misunderstandings. Uh, you know, the Should Night crew uh, were aware that Southside Crips providing security for Bad Boy um, and, and, and Biggie. And so their, you know, perception on the streets was that uh, these were the bodyguards for, you know, for Biggie Smalls. And then, of course, a rumor started after Tupac's murder in Las Vegas that Biggie had been there, that Biggie had solicited the murder, that Biggie had provided the gun, and those... saying is the truth is stranger than fiction and it, and it really is uh the fact that keefe i mean he said he grew up with suge right i mean when they pulled up on the car they saw each other but they grew they, you know they're both from similar areas right yeah they he said they know each other since they were seven or eight years old and uh, greg got an interesting story i don't know if you want to tell about keefe and death row in the early days yeah keefe and uh, suge knight have some personal history together they were from different you know, Should Knight was affiliated with the Mock Bright Pirates of Blood Gang, and QPD obviously was affiliated with the Crip Gang. Um, but QPD was was somebody in the you know in the in the Compton suburb um, as a drug dealer. And Should Knight had run into him backstage at a Bad Boy concert. He was like, "Hey, what are you doing hanging out with these guys?" Just should talking to QPD. How do you know these guys? And he says, "Essentially, the same way you know your guys, which is through you know." QPD's drug relationship with this character, Ziff, who was affiliated with Bad Boy back in New York and with Puffy Comb. So they knew about each other, they knew about each other's association. And then uh, this is the, the story Mike's referring to. Uh, QPD claimed that um, when Death Row was going to be started, you probably heard of an individual named Michael Harry O'Harris. Yeah. Uh, in, 
Oh, wow. Two shirt night, death row. Um, you know, for that. So, you know, these, there's this strange web of connections that, that went on. And, uh, as a matter of fact, during QP's uh, confession interview, he said, you know, I've known him since the Pat date. And he's referring to Pat John. And uh, so this is, you know, really interesting that, you know, behind the scenes, these guys knew each other on a whole different level. So who who exactly is Pat Johnson? Because I, I know about Harry O and how he supposedly uh, funded it, but who is Pat Johnson exactly? He's a very well-known Los Angeles uh, drug kingpin. Uh, he went to prison for a long time and then had gotten out. Um, he was, uh, you know, associated with many other of the big LA drug kingpins like Frank Coleman and and, uh, and those type of people out here in Los Angeles. Um, but he's, he's just a guy with a lot of money, and uh, these guys with a lot of money, it's bigger, they need to launder their money, and so they'll do things like invest in, you know, rap startup labels or, you know, other other ventures to try to, you know, wash their, wash their money. So I know Harry O was in jail for all this, so I guess he does, he's not really involved or not really have any part in any of this really, right? I mean, him and Shug's relationship got strained early on, right? You know, he did broker this deal. He got Shug the money he needed to um, you know, to get some of the recording time they needed for their original uh, music ventures. And you know, he started Death Row um, as a supporter, you know, as a, a silent contributor. Um, so there was that. But of course, he, he got paid back his own money that he had invested, but he always felt that he should have gotten, you know, interest or royalty. And that's really where it all fell apart when the lawsuits started between you know, Lydia Harris, his wife, and, and Suge Knight. And, but there was just, a, I think, a different perspectives on how much money he should have gotten in return um, for his initial you know, deposit. So I might get a little conspiracy theory-ish right now when I ask, but um, what do you feel? What do you think about like the media? Involvement as far as uh, feuding the East Coast West Coast uh, battles back in the day. Do you think they just did it for the ratings in the Cell magazines, or was it more deeper than that? You know, like the guy from the L.A. Times, Chuck okay. Phillips. Uh, sure. Um, well, I, I think that Phillips was you know, trying to get to the heart of the matter. Uh, you know, he was a good investigative reporter. Uh, he was trying to you know, get the some of these questions answered for the public, uh, but again, you know, they, they're a newspaper or, you know, whatever media out there, you know, you rely on, um, you, you rely on sales, and so if you have a story, sometimes um, the truth of that story is not always the objective, it's the sensationalism of the story, and the more sensational a story is, the, the more you're going to profit from it. So I think that, uh, you know, it just depends on what media outlet you're talking about, what their true objective is, and if it's money, then they're going to tell any story that will sell newspapers or, or get viewers. Because there's just so much disinfo and misinfo, and uh, I don't mean to sound negative, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're, it's kind of done on purpose, so to speak, so like, the actual truth didn't come out, you know what I mean? Well, I don't think that they intentionally will provide misinformation. I don't think that most of these legitimate media outlets, such as the LA Times, um, you know, goes out of their way to tell lies, to cover up stories, 
So what uh, what are exactly the plans for the documentary? I know you mentioned like a, a distribution deal, but you know, I guess you sell it in Walmart and try to get it on Netflix. I mean, what do you guys plan on doing with the, the documentary? Sure, it's, it's in the hands of our distributor right now. We signed a distribution deal uh, back in the uh, beginning of the summer with a company called Content Media. Content Media put out um, the big Scientology doc that was on HBO a few months ago called Going Clear. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Um, they're a really good company. Yeah, so that's the same company. They also, um, coincidentally, uh, are currently distributing... Um, Nick Broomfield's documentary, Biggie and Tupac. So um, they were the perfect company for us to go to because we knew they, they weren't afraid of controversy and also they they sold you know a film on the subject matter before. So it, it's all in their hands. They are out marketing it and selling it. And it's, it's kind of weird that the distribution landscape in this day and age is very, um, very complex. And so they sell off, uh, you know, the film gets sold country by country. And to give you an example, um, we just announced that uh, uh, there's... Um, UK DVD deal has been done for the United Kingdom, but also there's going to be another television deal for the United Kingdom. Those are two separate deals. Just for one company, country, there's two separate deals. Uh, we have a television rights in the U.S. were picked up by Reels, um, but then there's other people out there bidding for the DVD rights and the digital rights, and there's talks with Netflix uh, worldwide, and it's just, it's, it's, I mean, for one film, there can be hundreds of deals done. So it's just, uh, it kind of trickles in. Um, where, where and when the film is going to be released in different territories and all the different mediums. There are to release films on these days. It's crazy with the internet and everything. So um, we're just waiting uh, for them to tell us how they're doing and where it's going to be, and then we, we post that information online. So I guess nowadays it's a more, I guess you get more exposure, and is it more lucrative to just do more digital than rather than trying to do DVD sales? Yeah, there's, you know, there's, there's no overhead for someone downloading a movie. Um, whereas there's a lot of overhead when you sell a DVD. You've got the physical disc, you've got the packaging, you've got the storage space for it. So um, it does, uh, I think there's a, there's a higher profit margin for selling you know, something on iTunes than there is for selling DVDs. But there's still a lot of people out there that want to own a physical copy of something, a movie that they like. I, I'm, I'm that way. So I know there's, there's fans out there that have bought you know, every book and every DVD about this story that is out there, and they're going to want to add this to their collection. So um, you know, the DVD stuff is still important. So do you have, is there an actual, like, release date for this? Yeah, it'll be on a Reels channel in the U.S. on November 14th. Uh, we don't know the time yet, but that's the date. Um, we know it'll be released on DVD um, on, in the U.K. on, I think, January 11th to January 16th. I can't remember which, which date. Um, those are the only hard dates we know. It's on VOD, uh, Video On Demand, in Australia right now. And it's going to be on one of their huge networks called SBS uh, in February. So... There are release dates, but there's a huge market coming up in Europe uh, next week um, where a lot of films get sold, and we should have a, a bunch more information uh, late October once, once that market is done. Okay, and then I know you mentioned the Facebook page. Where What are some of the ways people can stay in touch with you guys, like your website or Facebook yeah. or Twitter? We, you know, we are super accessible to the public. In fact, a review on Hip Hop DX even commented on how, um, how, how surprisingly available to the public uh, Greg is. Right. Um, and, and the fan, and so we, you know, we have nothing to hide. We're having an open dialogue with people, and you know, whether you agree or disagree, we want to talk to people about it. So um, our Facebook page is facebook.com/slash/mrapmovie. Uh, apparently, they only put murder under the name of your Facebook page, but it's mrapmovie uh, on Facebook, and um, we have like thirteen thousand followers already, and um, we post uh, exclusive content there all the time, and. 
comment section of you know our post is a really good, good dialogue. That just kind of gave me another question. Um, because, you know, there was rumors about Shug being an informant or working with the police, because I know that's how Whitey Bulger had his long career. Have you ever heard any rumors to that? Or do you have any comments on that about Shug maybe doing something similar as Whitey Bulger? Yeah, listen, uh, everything about Shug Knight um, is, is part of his involvement with law enforcement. I'm aware of, you know, we had all the files from all the years of the racketeering investigation by the FBI and ATF into death row and and the IRS's investigation into death row and all the different crimes that ship's been involved in. There's absolutely no truth to the rumor that he's a government informant. Uh, you know, will Suge Knight sit down and tell you what you want to hear if he's in trouble? Yeah, he will. He'll sell out his own mother. <laughs> and uh, he's going to tell you whatever, you know, whatever he feels he has to tell you to get out of his predicament. He'll hire Orlando Anderson to testify on his behalf. Right. You know, and uh, so and that's the nature of Suge Knight. You know, he's Besides this documentary, if you don't mind me asking. Well, I'm, you know, I'm a private investigator, so I, I do a little bit of uh, that nature of work. I continue to be involved in, you know, uh, developing any information or evidence I can uh, in regard to Biggie and Tupac's murder. So I stay invested in that and uh, always looking to, you know, um, compound what we already know. Uh, but I golf and I try to, you know, enjoy retirement also. So. Um, but this has been a good run, you know, with the book and now with the documentary. Um, you know, I'm starting to see uh, this kind of trend in the public that the public is uh, finally getting the answers they've been desperately looking for for almost 20 years, and that's very satisfying. So I'm really, really, really thankful that I retired and, and, and went down this road. Very cool. Okay, do you guys have any last words or any last things you want to plug before we end this? Yeah, you know, the only thing, other thing I would add is just it's been kind of crazy um, as the film is coming out how much insane stuff has happened around it. You know, we've got, in, in the past, you know, a year, we've got, you know, Suge Knight uh, in jail and possibly facing prison for the rest of his life. Um, Russell Poole, you know, tragically had a heart attack and died last month. Um, the accused driver of the Cadillac that uh, when Tupac was killed, uh, it was just killed this previous week. Yeah. Uh, and it's just been kind of, uh, it's been kind of weird. I don't believe in, you know, uh, really magical thinking or anything like that, but it has been very bizarre. And our agent has just been commenting on how he's never seen a film come out and had so much weird stuff happen around it, like rather than being released. And then, of course, the NWA movie blowing up uh, in the middle of all of that. So it's been really a kind of a crazy, you know, like nine months. But do you think that, I guess the T. Brown thing that happened recently, I guess that might not, it might be an unrelated incident. I mean, I know we're speculating, but I wonder if it's, you know, an unrelated incident. It's most likely unrelated, uh, you know, just based on the lifestyle that some of those guys live. There's a reason uh, so many of them have, haven't lived uh, very long lives. And T. 
Brown was a survivor. He'd already been shot uh, in another incident. He'd been shot ten times famously and got the nickname Lotto as a result <laughs> of surviving that. So, uh, so it's kind of uh, it's kind of amazing. He lived to be fifty three. To be honest, he outlived a lot of other guys like Orlando and DeAndre Smith and um, a lot of other guys from from his group of friends that he came up with. So is Keefe D still alive and in jail? He is. He's in uh, he's in state prison right now for an unrelated uh, weapons charge, a gun charge uh, that stemmed from an incident a few years back. And uh, I think he's short time in it, though. He should probably be back, be out in the next month or two, and then he'll be back on the streets and, and you know doing what he does. And um, so I don't think his story is over yet. To be honest with you, he's kind of the sole survivor. Um, of Southside Crips that were directly involved in this incident. Um, you know, the documentary is going to get a lot of publicity. His neighborhood's always known of, of his and uh, the rest of the guys' involvement in it. Um, but it, it, there's going to be more public scrutiny, you know, now that we're uh, we're proving the involvement. And so, um, I don't know. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see what, happen, what takes place next. Yeah, I mean, he... That's kind of the ironic thing about this film coming out is so many people have come to us uh, in the past few months and said, yeah, I know people in Compton. I know, you know, I've, I've known relatives of, of Orlando Anderson's and they all it's always said, yeah, they did it. It's always been like the, the, the worst kept secret in Compton so that these guys are behind this. And it's kind of, they're kind of fascinated that a movie's finally coming out that shows the actual details about how all that came together. Yeah, I'm a huge documentary fan and just a hip-hop fan in general, and I was just, you know, I've seen all the Tupac Biggie docs, and this is definitely the best one, the most compelling, and it has the most evidence, you know, none of them have really ever solved the case, and I feel like you guys kind of did. Yeah, thank you. Greg, Greg and his partner Darren and his task force solved it, I think. Cool, all right. Yeah, I, I consider, you know, I, I just... I don't consider what we're putting forth as a theory. You know, I think that we're putting forth the you know definitive explanation of what took place. And so I, I think we're talking about apples and oranges as far as our production versus previous productions. You know, which we're all theoretically based. We're not we're not promoting a theory. We're we're definitively telling you what happened. Very cool. Um, I appreciate you guys taking out the time. So just to reiterate. They can contact you the best way is through the Facebook page? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on that page every single day. Uh, and again, it's MRAP Movie uh, on Facebook. And uh, I think you actually can go to murderrapmovie.com and that'll automatically direct you to the Facebook page. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope you guys have success with it. I, I think you will because there's just so many diehard Tupac and Biggie fans out there and people that want to know the truth. 